You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Rudy Rucker is the author of the cyberpunk classic quartet, Software, Wetware, Freeware, and Realware. His latest novel is Hylozoic. He's also the author of Mathematicians in Love. He runs the Flurb webzine. Thank you for joining me, Rudy. It's nice to be here with you, Rick. Rudy, one of the things that strikes me about your books, especially when I look back on, on the, the Ware Quartet, is that when you write science fiction, there's this real danger that you're going to end up in what I call the the Philip K. Dick time paradox, which are stories set in 1978 that you're reading in 2010 and thinking, boy, I hope we get to that level of technology soon. I think you've really avoided that with your fiction. So I'd like you to talk about writing uh, for a future that has not yet come. Well, you do. It is a good idea not to mention dates in your science fiction novels, because that's like a, I mean, 1984, you know, sort of a sell-by date. But, uh, yeah, the stuff in, in, in the Ware Tetralogy is, uh, it still hasn't happened. Although, if you pick through there, you will see it was supposed to be happening around now, around, around 2020. The future that, that we imagine, very often, it, it, it's like a reflection of the time that we're actually writing in. It's sort of a different way of looking, looking at our own world. And so a lot of these things are sort of archetypal and sort of stand in for other things. Like the whole idea of, when I was writing the Ware series, it was just this whole idea, idea of people beginning to merge with machines. And that was something I could see happening around me. But uh, it's fun to make it get into the funky science fictional aspect of it all. One of the things I like about your science fiction is you have such a generous and warm and kind of a humorous approach that you that even though you're dealing with some really serious and, and often borderline horrific subjects, your approach really is warm and fun, and that's a, an unusual approach. Yeah, I, I have that. I, <laughs> I like to think of it as a, a, like Peter Bruegel's paintings. I mean, he would be painting about cosmic themes, but also they have very realistic, humane things in there, like uh, clowning things and, and human things. Um, I don't feel like science fiction has to be sort of cold and plastic, which, uh, you know, in certain movies you'll see or certain TV series, it's everybody's sort of very serious and and, and it's, it's not, not really fun. And that's something that the cyberpunk movement was about, was to make science fiction more funky and... Uh, to have, you know, music in there and sex and people doing interesting things. And another thing is just, I, I do like it. I feel like so many things in life end tragically. I generally like to give my, my novels a, a kind of a, a happy ending. Well, I'd like you to talk about, now, you're a man, to, to my mind, who seems more ready to enter the 22nd century than the 21st. I'd like you to talk about your webzine flurb. What made you uh, decide to, to go this route and, and talk about some of the authors you're getting and your experience in kind of self-publishing in a free, free environment? The way Flurb came about was uh, <clears throat> I had written a story with Paul DeFilippo, and uh, 
we wanted to get it published rather quickly because I think I was had an anthology coming out, and usually if you're going to publish a story, you want to do it before the anthology comes out. And then I tried sending it to one of the existing science fiction webzines, and they turned it down. And then I had this sudden flash, well, why, you know, I've had so much rejection as being a writer. It's, I mean, any writer does. It comes with the territory. But for something like this, where they're not even going to pay me, it's not going to cost them anything to publish it. Why should I be taking crap from strangers? So I thought, all right, I'll start my own webzine. And that was Flurb. And I don't know, I just like the word Flurb because it sounds sort of bumbling and incompetent. And then, uh, almost like a mad magazine word. And then I managed to get, I, you know, over the years, if the world of science fiction writing is pretty small, so I, I know really quite a few of the writers. So I was able to get a lot of them to send stories in with the understanding that I wouldn't pay them anything, they would keep all the rights, and uh, we would get a lot of readers. And that's how it's worked out. And we get about 30,000 people read each issue, which is quite respectable, uh, even for a print publication. And uh, it doesn't, my son runs an ISP, so I don't need to it doesn't cost me anything to be maintaining this site. And uh, we've gone through 10 issues now, and it's really, there's been some really great things. Uh, I guess now it's not just people I know, people will mail things in, and I found some really good new writers. The upcoming issue, actually, for a change, I'm going to let Eileen Gunn edit it, because she used to have a, a great webzine called uh, Infinite Matrix, and she's editing the new issue of Flurb, which will be coming out in March 2011. You know, uh, as a, a mathematician, you're uh, kind of a, a unique in the, in the world of science fiction, and, and I'd like you to talk about the influence of, of your work as a, as a mathematician on your writing and on your vision of the world. Well, in mathematics, one asp there's several aspects of mathematics that are similar to science fiction. Uh, one is simply that we look at these very far-fetched notions like the fourth dimension, or actually infinite sets, or uh, odd topologies. And these are all things I've enjoyed basing novels on. I've written novels. Spaceland is basically about the fourth dimension. White Light is about uh, higher infinities. And uh, the sort of practice of mathematics, the idea is you start with certain axioms and you see what you can deduce from those. And in some ways, computer program is like that too a little bit. You, you start with a program and then you let it run and see what comes out. And uh, when you're creating an alternate world in which to set a science fiction novel, again, it's you, you're making sort of assumptions about the world and then you, you work out the consequences, which often aren't really obvious. In fact, it's in the process of writing the novel that I will discover the consequences often. I won't be able to really foresee them. And... Uh, so that's that's something I like. You're a busy man with a lot of different irons in the fire, and you've got a lot of really interesting stuff talk coming out, and that has just come out. Talk about the the re reissue of the the Wear series and your other forthcoming releases. Uh, yeah, I'm perhaps best known for the the Wear novels. It's it's always kind of annoying. You're best known for something you wrote 20 years ago, or maybe even 30. But uh, the uh, software wetware freeware and realware and eventually like tends to happen these books were out of print they were in print for a really long time and it 
if you're a writer, you sort of one of the things you do is you sort of are always kind of hassling trying to keep your stuff in print. And then Prime Books proposed to do a, a combined volume, which seemed like a very good idea to me. So uh, we d- they call it the Wear Tetralogy, and they uh, I got a chance to re-edit it a little bit, tidy it up a little bit, uh, just clean it up in, in, in some ways. I, did, I wouldn't say that I, I watered it down. It was more just like making it fully consistent and, and, and uh, together. And also, something I wanted to do, I kind of wanted this book to be immortal because I think it's, it could be the thing I'm most remembered for. So I uh, convinced Prime to let me do a free Creative Commons release of it, which is something, of course, Cory Doctorow is very big on. And the, the win with that is I put the book up online, and now, because it's free, it sort of has spread everywhere. You know, this I don't know, I might have downloaded a hundred thousand copies of it now and uh so it's it'll be out there for good and people will keep you know porting into the new technology so as a writer there's sort of a win to doing a creative commons release of a book because statistically uh pretty much 90 percent of books are out of print when the writer's been dead for more than five years so if you want to keep your work out there Sometimes it's not a bad idea to do that. But you can also buy it. It's a very nice printed edition. And you can buy an, a, a commercial ebook edition as well. Like if you want it for the Kindle, you would you can buy that too. Now, looking ahead, um, I have a memoir coming out this year. Uh, it's called Nested Scrolls. And it's going to come out in two editions, a small press edition from the British company PS Publishing this in the spring of 2011. And in the fall of 2011, Tor or Forge Books are going to do a a commercial edition. I guess uh, probably be a, a paperback. And then uh, I have a novel I recently finished called Jim and the Flims. And it's about a guy going to the afterworld to bring back his wife, whose death he brought about through some careless experimentation with nanotechnology. And uh, he finds his way into the higher dimensional afterworld. And that's kind of an exciting book. And that's coming out from a San Francisco company, our own Nightshade Press here. And that's going to be out, I think, in June. And I'm looking forward to that. It'll be fun to see what Nightshade does with it. They've, they've got so far, they do some very nice productions. And uh, I'm currently in about halfway through my next novel, which is called The Touring Chronicles. And it's about Alan Turing and William Burroughs in an invasion of a, not really an invasion, a people turning into giant slugs. Okay, and I'll just leave it at that for now. You know, Rudy, one thing I love about you is that, you know, for in, in a lot of your books, you give us monsters. And, and I, I'm just a, a monster geek. I love monsters. So talk about creating monsters for us. Well, yeah, it's. I like to give people something to look at. I mean, I like that sort of... I mean, the way I liked the Ramones was that they would go back to the good old rock and roll riffs and just, you know, play the shit out of them. And I like doing that in science fiction, to take these these things that we, we like about science fiction, the good old things, the monsters, the time travel, the telepathy, the aliens, the UFOs, the fourth dimension. And I like to put that stuff in there and, and rock with it. If I'm looking for monsters... One of my hobbies, uh, which I don't get to do nearly as often as I would like to, is to go scuba diving. And 
that's an endless source of inspiration, the stuff you see underwater. So I, t I tend to lean generally towards mollusks or uh, cephalopods when I'm looking for a monster. I kind of like them. I like the softness of them, and I like that they change their shape. So, yeah, <laughs> and uh, in the Turing Chronicles, these guys, they become shapeshifters, but if they don't, if they relax completely, they just turn into a six-foot slug. But they're called scugs instead of slugs because it, it sounds nastier. I've been speaking with Rudy Rucker. He's got a memoir coming out called Nested Scrolls. His latest book is The Ware Tetralogy. Thank you for joining me, Rudy. Thank you, Rick. It's always fun to see you. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.